I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. So if this campaign is part psychological drama, part comical farce, a matchup of personalities that would be case studies 1 and 1A for any Psych 101 class, is there anyone better to talk to than Maureen Dowd? Of course there isn't, which is why I was really looking forward to this conversation. Maureen Dowd, as you know, is the Pulitzer Prize-winning New York Times columnist. She's a best-selling author, and her latest book, just published, is The Year of Voting Dangerously, The Derangement of American Politics. I can certainly say, based on this conversation, she's also really funny and extremely thoughtful. She's also kind of seen it all. I mean, Dowd's covered Trump and Hillary Clinton, among others, of course, for more than 20 years. So I asked her whether Trump was always like this, and if not, what in the world has happened? I also asked her about Hillary and why do people think Dowd hates her? She answered it all, usually with a laugh or insightful line. Anyhow, I really liked the conversation. As I said, it was timely and lively, and I hope that you do too. But before we begin the conversation, some questions. Who will win the White House? What can we expect in the coming debates? And what about the House and Senate? People who want to stay ahead of the curve turn to the Cook Political Report, and with good reason. For 30 years, the report has nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. CBS News' Bob Schieffer called it the Bible of American politics. Nate Silver noted, few political analysts have a longer track record of success than the tight-knit team that runs the Cook Political Report. Little wonder the New York Times called it, quote, a newsletter that both parties regard as authoritative. People who make it their business to know politics make it their business to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. Just go to cookpolitical.com slash political wire. That's cookpolitical.com slash political wire. And now here's my conversation with Maureen Dowd. As I've been thinking about this, you have got to feel like someone is playing a trick on you. I mean, as you, <laughs> as you put it, you, we have this election of the out-of-control id versus the highly-controlled superego. This campaign is made for Maureen Dowd. I mean, do you, do you wake oh, up every day? Thank you. It feels like. I mean, that's what it really is. I was thinking about the conversation. I'm like, I got to talk to her because this is the Maureen Dowd uh, campaign. Do you, do you wake up every day and say thank you, or are you or are you more like, C- come on, guys, this is too easy. I need a challenge here. Well, you know, in 2008, I didn't think there would ever be an election that was more exciting than that because it had gender, it had race, it had this kind of Game of Thrones plot where the handsome young African American prince was usurping the queen. And I stayed on the road with that campaign for, I think, two years because I figured, well, I'm never going to get one as exciting as this. <laughs> and and, and, you your, know, lease, and a, your lease was up or something? Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I am astonished that, you know, I've seen so much in my career. I've had this crazy father-son Bush presidency, which I have an essay about in the book that I re-reported and wrote. And, you know, I've seen the Clinton impeachment and um, I've just seen so much. But this is pure madness. This is the fusion of reality TV and social media and politics. And I just didn't expect to see anything like this. 
you know, as you're running through those, uh, all, the, mm. all the things that you've seen, it, you know, w- so which came first, the crazy politics or Maureen Dowd? I mean, maybe this stuff just <laughs> didn't exist before you, you came around. It's funny because I, um, I majored in Shakespeare, and uh, so I never have been that interested in the horse race and the big data analysis that um, newspapers now obsess on. I have always liked the uh, Shakespeare Game of Thrones aspect of it, you know, how human beings perform in a high-pressure situation and how they compete. And so um, that's always what I've been interested in. And I don't, you know, I could send in my stories by carrier pigeon or I don't, I don't really care. Um, it isn't the medium. It's, it's the human drama, which hasn't really changed, you know, since we've been alive. It's always the same. No, not, I mean, not since Shakespeare and not since the right. Bible before. I mean, yeah, no, it's, it's always right. here. Well, well, you know, w- winter is here. There's no doubt about <laughs> that. So, so, so w- with your perspective and with your, you know, Shakespearean viewpoint and, and, you know, eye on drama, um, you know, in a, in a serious way, I mean, what is going on here? I mean, why are we as a country, in your view, at, you know, the most outrageous, the most, you know, the bringing together of everything? I mean, the, you know, the most disliked candidates in history, racism, sexism, uh, jingoism. I mean, you, you go through a litany of isms in, in your book that, that were... I mean, what, narcissism. In a, narcissism. I mean, <laughs> in a, well, we've kind of always had a little bit of that, I think. Yeah, you remember right, the Clinton years. Right, we have, but it's... It's ratcheted up. It's ratcheted up. But, but what, is, what, what, so what is going on here? I mean, what do you view, you know, what, what's going on here? Well, part of how we got here is that the Republicans had promised a lot of things that they didn't deliver on. You know, they were going to fix the budget. They were going to fix immigration. They were going to get rid of Obamacare. And so people just got really angry at the dysfunction in Washington, Ted Cruz's Thunderdome, where he was trying to burn down the Capitol he was working in. And part of it is that voters have a right to be angry because the economy almost went under and people didn't even know what derivatives were. We got into these two 13-year wars that we can't win and can't leave and people didn't understand the tribal, you know, Sunni versus Shia thing. So they were trusting their leaders to do the right thing and we've had these huge earth-shattering problems. And so I think they've lost a lot of trust. So, you know, globalization, that was the bright, shiny new thing. And yet, you know, a lot of people have been left out of it. So in many cases, they have a right to be angry. And then in the case of Hillary Clinton, you know, she thought she was going to get it in 2008. And this secretariat of a politician came along and usurped it. Then she assumed she would get it in the primaries, and and this cranky socialist loner, you know, seventy four year old guy, came along and almost usurped it. And so now there's this wacky reality TV star who is trying to usurp it. So after the first African American president, you know, some of the women wanted the first woman president, and. Uh, these other people keep trying to usurp it. So that's what happened on their side. It it almost feels like a conspiracy. (laughs) Doesn't 
this this campaign, you know, Stefan and Saturday Night Live has a, those reviews of discos. And it's like, I always think of that with this campaign, because this campaign has everything. It has Russian hackers. It has conspiracy theories. It has white supremacists. It has Kardashian-like Twitter feuds. It has dueling federal investigations. It has small hands. It's got to be, yeah, it's like someone's there saying, you know, okay, cue the Russian hackers and go hackers, you know, start start your thing. And now we have these headlines about Colin Powell. It's it's just wild. You can't, you're trying to cover one aspect of it, and then it's like a waterfall. Then something else falls out. Why do people write anything, anything in an email that they don't just want? plastered all over the internet or I know mistakenly I've been thinking for- about my own have you <laughs> I, are you kidding me I, I, I there is nothing go throughout you know hack my emails there is nothing in an email of mine that I, I won't you know I, I just expect at some point it's somebody's gonna see something and you know I, I create enough embarrassment for myself I don't need to you know put it put it down in, in written word like that that's just the the it's crazy. Well, that's funny because Hillary today said she wasn't going to criticize Colin Powell, said some unflattering things about her, yeah. and she wasn't going to yeah. criticize him because she knows how it feels to have her email hacked. Yeah, yeah. Not, it's not a, a, not a great feeling for her, I'm sure. We, again, trying to, you know, I, thinking this, so a serious question here. Do we get the candidates we deserve? I mean, as I was thinking about the folks that you covered and, and, you know, you went through them earlier, but, you know, as I'm thinking about H.W. Bush and and Bill Clinton and Gore and W. and Obama and, of course, you know, now, you know, Trump and Hillary and and the others, I mean, these folks don't come out of nowhere. And at some point, someone's got to vote for them. So, I mean, I guess this goes back a little bit to what we were talking about a moment ago. I mean, do do you ever feel like, well, maybe it's not them it's us, and and are they are they a snapshot? Is whoever we elect kind of a snapshot of where we are at the at at that moment? I mean, it's I guess it's a little bit what we were talking about a moment ago, but um, I'm always kind of wondering which comes first. Well, you know, I think part of the problem is that the parties are so weak. So I keep thinking, wow, why didn't the Republicans nominate someone like James Comey? who seems smart, and I've been to some of his speeches, and I mean, before he got kind of caught up in this Clinton thing, you know, he's he just seems like the kind of person you'd want. He seems smart, he seemed um, thoughtful, he kind of looks the part, and, but, and I keep saying, why wouldn't the Republicans nominate them? And then Republicans say to me, because who are you talking about? There's no smoke-filled room, there's no party elders who have that kind of control. So it's much more of a free-for-all. Yeah. And by the way, I agree on, on Comey. I've heard him speak as well. And, uh, he, you know, yeah, he's... It's, he's he's counter, you know, he's counterintuitive. He doesn't yeah. always say, you know, he goes... And, and he's a sort of a hero because he went up against um, when W's lawyer tried to get him yeah. to, you know, the thing in Ashcroft in the hospital room, and they tried to get him to sign off on some bad thing about torture. And he was like, no. So he, he's slain the dragon, you know, but it's funny because when I say this, people say, well, there are no real parties anymore who do that. Yeah, no, it, it, uh, that, that seems to, to be true. So uh, let's move to, uh, you know, one of the two current dragons. 
Um, you have, you know, it's well documented. <laughs> you like that transition. You've, you've spoken with Trump for years. I mean, you've talked about it. You've written about it. It's, it's been written. Do you think he's a racist? Uh, you know, I've been interviewing, he doesn't have that many friends, but what friends he has, I've been interviewing and they kind of say, well, this is not the Donald Trump I know, you know, and I asked him about it actually in an interview. I said, this guy who was saying these racist things is not the Donald Trump I've seen in New York and interviewed over the years. And he goes, Maureen, you know me, you know, I'm not a racist. So the question is, do you become what you say at the microphone? And unfortunately, I think the answer has to be yes, because if little Muslim kids are getting roughed up or Muslim women because of things said at Donald Trump rallies, then I guess you become a racist, even if you yourself, you know, think you that your history, I think in his head, he these are opening negotiations. He's just trying to get where he wants to be. And then he thinks he's a different person. But you I think you are what you say at the microphone. You know, I was wondering about that, that that very point. I mean, he's talked about that in, in the debates that, well, I'm not going to give away my negotiating point and, and, you know, because, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the discussion. Or sometimes he'll start at a wild extreme, almost with the sense that he's going to walk it back. And, and right. I wonder, well, it, you know, is that what's going on? But at the end, it doesn't matter if that's what's going on, because to your point, that's racist talk. And there are racist actions being taken. And the Muslim child with the, you know, the mother is getting, you know, right. so the, the reality is what it is. And, and I'm, I'm trying to, how do you get your, you know, how do, how do you get your head around that? Or how do you reconcile that? Well, he, um, I remember when this happened with Pat Buchanan, and he had written some columns, he had a column, and um he had written some columns praising Hitler for his uh, building good highways or something, some other thing he thought yeah. Hitler had done that was good. Always and, a really smart um, move. That's a, that's a <laughs> right, exactly. just genius. <laughs> and he got in trouble. And I remember Michael Kinsley, you know, who's Jewish, supporting him because they had a show together and saying, well, he's great to me, you know, and I understand that Donald Trump thinks, He's just getting, he's a salesman. He's doing what he needs to do in the moment to close the deal. And then he thinks he would be a different kind of person once he made it. But as I, I just think we have, I had a boss, Hal Raines, who would say one time when I was covering Bush Sr. and Marlon Fitzwater said something um, at the press briefing. And afterwards he called me in and he said, I didn't mean it that way. It just came out wrong. And I went to Hal and I said, we can't write that because he didn't mean it that way. He told me and Hal goes, he said it at the microphone. The world heard it. Now it's their policy. You know, and I think of that with Trump, because even if he doesn't mean it in his head and he would be different if he were elected, he's said it now. It's out there. Yeah, it's out there. Uh, Hillary, why do people think you don't like Hillary Clinton? I think part of it is a woman from a liberal paper writing about a liberal woman. So I don't think we're ever going to lose that, you know, in Seinfeld when they would, Elaine would do the catfight thing like, Arr. so I think that they always think if a woman is critiquing a woman, that it's harsher. And I also think that if you, 
if if the Hillary <clears throat> campaign makes it personal, as though I have a personal thing about her, it diminishes my argument. Like, it's weird to me, because if I say that the foundation business is too tangled, why is that a personal thing about Hillary? Because they themselves have now admitted it. If I say the email was an extremely careless thing to do, I don't know why that's personal, because Comey has said that now. So to me, it's a little confusing. I'm just pointing out what I think is obvious, which is she has a pattern of secretiveness. You know, it's like Trump has his wall and she has a wall around her of defensiveness where she sometimes makes decisions from a place of fear and insecurity. And then something relatively mundane snowballs because the press and her foes feel they get in this feeding frenzy where they think something is being hidden from them. And then you find out what's being hidden and it wasn't that big of a deal in the first place, but she goes into war room mode. So anyway. Yeah, and so you, there is the carelessness and, and then that defensiveness. And is it that, can she just not help herself? I mean, the most recent one, obviously the whole, you know, pneumonia thing. And, right. uh, and there was just what you just described. I mean, this wall of defensiveness and even with the closest, you know, advisors, uh, you know, uh, Cheryl Mills and, and Huma Abedin and, and they, it's almost like there's nobody, well, who knows? I mean, I'm not there, but, but it feels to an outsider, like there's nobody saying, wait a minute, it's, it's pneumonia. You know, we all get it and take a few days right. and why don't you do a little debate prep? And right. is it that she just can't, I, I mean, you're not a psychiatrist, but, but is it that she just can't help herself? Is it, although you play one in a newspaper column. <laughs> <laughs> I do call shrinks now instead of political strategists to help me analyze the campaign. It's not, it's not, yeah, but yeah. yeah. So, so, Here's the thing. Hillary Land, yeah, as you described, is a very tight bubble. And that's why I feel my job, I do not write an ideological campaign. It doesn't come from the left or the right. So I feel like my job is to point out if things aren't right. And what wasn't right was for her not to have a press conference in almost a year or take reporters with her because that's bad for her. It just builds up hostility. It's bad for democracy. It's bad for us. And... No one tells her. And, and the health thing, I agree with Axelrod. You know, it's not the health, it's the stealth. It was just a microcosm of the way in my book, I go back and I was very supportive when she was running as, you know, uh, Bill's wife. And when she tried to do health care, I had my doubts. But it was even as a news reporter, I was very supportive. I said her performance on the Hill was dazzling. But then I covered it. And it was just the same trajectory as this health thing, where she created an unnecessary wall of secrecy. She kept out the press. She was very defensive. And then you know, it, she was very my way or the highway, and then it all kind of fell apart. So she never seems, I would feel better about her as a leader if she would learn from this pattern and correct this pattern. Yeah, Axelrod's uh, tweets have just been devastating the last uh, few days. Yes, I think he, you know, he emailed me and he goes, now I know how you feel because uh, the campaign and the Hillary, you know, Clinton Inc. goes after you if you step off, step out of line.
he stepped he stepped off he's he's right. off yeah he he's uh-huh. so he, not he'll go you know yeah. back he just once in a while i think but if she were smart she would read that and take it as the great advice that it is but yeah. instead of you know she has uh david brock and media matters and all these millions of dollars poured into places who go after people for constructive criticism not just for things that aren't accurate. So I just think the whole mode is so unhealthily, is that a word? <laughs> unhealthily defensive. So what do you think about, though, this false equivalency argument that's going on? So you just described, you know, Hillary Clinton, and you described the carelessness and not your words, my words, but kind of too cute by half and, and secretiveness. And, and that's bad. And it, it gives you concerns of, about her and it gives a lot of people concerns about her as a leader. And yet on the other side, you've got the racism, you've got the sexism, you've got, you know, all of the isms that, that we talked about and stuff that's, that, that's really at the core of against, I would argue, what it, is to be an American. I mean, we're, we're a country that's built not on a we're built on all races coming, and so you've seen the arguments and and they've been in, right. in your paper that we're, we're, there's a false equivalency. We're coming down on on Hillary for stuff that's bad and kind of distasteful, and you know we don't like it. But compared to the other stuff, come on, people, the, it, these this it's not well, comparable. Yeah, Nick Kristoff has a column about that today. Well, you know, my brother and sister have written essays for the book where they explain why they're probably going to vote for Trump. And and, you know, I think there is a lot of racism and sexism that gets stirred up by the first African-American president and the first woman of a major party. But that is not all there is to it. You know, there's a lot of other things to it. But in my case, I don't. Nick's argument and Hillary at a fundraiser recently made this argument that I'm the only thing she said, I'm the only thing standing between you and the abyss. And a lot of my friends feel this way. Leon Weaseltier, a friend of mine, says uh, Trump is a national emergency and the idea is that Hillary can't be criticized. But I just don't agree with that. I'm not making an equivalency between the two candidates, but I think that we are part of checks and balances. So just because he does a lot of things that are worthy of reproach doesn't mean she's above reproach. So I just think it's our job. They have a lot of people who are paid to spin for them, and that is not how I see my job. I see it more like the Plato, you know, watchdog. I mean, it isn't to help spin for either candidate. It's more, you know, you can point out to her that she endangers national security when she breaks the rules and gets her own server. I just think she needs to hear that. And if you give her a pass on everything because you think it's better for the country, it's not going to be good for the country. So uh, keeping the uh, theater theme, the next real big political theater, uh, I think, will be the debates, although they're, you know, a week and a half away. And Lord only knows what can happen between now and then. I mean, we have Dr. Oz programs to watch. Uh, (laughs) Yes, that's on here in New York at one. I can't wait. Yeah, no, that's. uh, I want to hear about his testosterone levels. I don't know. Did they did they get into that? I, I don't know. I Apparently, saw... he brought a piece of paper from his wacky doctor about how high his test. 
testosterone is, which I'm sure is the only part of his health that interests him. Oh, that is hilarious. So that was the yellow yeah. highlighter, I guess. Right. On the, on the, on the page, yeah. <laughs> right. What are these? Give, give me a preview. What do you expect? I mean, with, with your drama theater hat on, um, I mean, the debates, is it, you know, should, should we bring the steel cage? Should we stick with just <laughs> podiums? What, what are you seeing? I think that um, I kind of like Trump's idea, even though no one else does, about talking directly to each other, because debates basically have gotten so silly. They never talk to each other or argue with each other. They only just talk to the press panel. I don't know why they can't engage directly. But, you know, I do think we're entering the 55 craziest days in political history. And, you know, even though, and that's part of why I wanted to do the book, because I've been with these people since the 90s covering them, but even though they're two of the most famous people on the planet, uh, we don't really know who they are. Hillary is getting the same memos from her staff now that she got 25 years ago, which is, we're going to reintroduce you this week, we're going to show the real Hillary, (laughs) and who knows who Donald Trump is? Is he the you know, a liberal New York uh, white rapper, you know, greed is good kind of guy that he used to be, or is he the alt-right guy that he now is? So I don't know. You obviously have a uh, terrific sense of humor. I mean, you've laughed a, a lot at, uh, you know, even in this conversation. Do, do you worry at all? Do things worry you? Maybe not necessarily in your personal life. I guess we all get worried in our personal lives. But do you worry about the you know course of the country and things like that? Or are you just kind of like, Chris, come on, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a columnist. I look at, uh, you know, these political leaders, I try to get to, you know, the core of who they are. And, and that's more what I'm interested in. But uh, no, I, I spent like seven years passionately writing about the lead up to the Iraq war and, and the mishandling of it. Um, and I feel passionately about our country. Um, but when, when friends or people come to me now and say, we're terrified, we're going to move away. I, I don't feel like that. I have more faith in the American public than that. We've survived all these other things in our history and whatever happens here, we will survive it and get all this out of our system. They were interviewing the civil rights hero, um, Congressman Cumming, or Congressman Lewis, sorry, the other day, and they were asking him, um, you know, about all the racial tension. And he goes, it's a blip. You know, it's just a blip in our history. We're actually doing really well. We've just had an African-American president. So I just think we're bigger than some of these uh, you know, things that, that are these frissons of bad, dark things that we're seeing. And um, we're America. We're bigger and better. And we will be so again. Uh, that's that's terrific. I, I agree. I think the, the maybe the only thing I, I noticed that maybe you got wrong in, in the book is the, the concept that we have vaulted past parody. Uh, fortunately, <laughs> there's there's still plenty for parody, and uh, you're, you're finding it. You'll, you'll continue to find it, I'm sure. Maureen, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you. 
Well, that was my conversation with Maureen Dowd. How interesting was it that she now interviews psychiatrists as part of her reporting? Makes sense, I guess. Also, her background in theater and drama and Shakespeare. You obviously can see how that frames her approach. Anyhow, I really enjoyed the book and the conversation. I hope you did as well. My thanks to Maureen for joining me and to you for listening. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Mm-hmm.